Welcome to Grace This Weekend. Glad we could be together today. And uh, even before we jump into our conversation, I want to highlight something that Jordan brought up just a minute ago, and that's that Bible camp starts uh, this week, right? It kind of snuck up on us. It's right here. So if you have kids, uh, make sure to come out to that. If you have friends or neighbors that have children and you've been thinking about extending an invitation to them, make sure to take advantage of that. I know my kids are pumped. My family is excited about Bible camp. I will probably get a pie in the face, pretty much guaranteed. And uh, once I'm on the stage, I'm going to break out that one and only dance move I have. I mean, I only have one, but it's so awesome. It's not the kind of thing you want to miss. So make sure to come out and you can uh, see me dance. It's fantastic. So we're uh, we're wrapping up our series on Jonah that we've been in for the last handful of weeks. And I I know I personally have really valued uh, the teaching that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Brad have brought over the last few weeks, teaching us about Jonah And what we've said is if you grew up in the church, you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know about the story of Jonah. You heard about Jonah and the fish. And and we would say in this series, what we want to do is we want to recognize, of course, that's a part of the story of Jonah, but it's only one part. There's a bigger and a broader story, and there's a bigger reason that God would include his book, Jonah, here in the Bible. And really, it's the story of God's unrelenting love and his grace, and his compassion for people. And that's really the the bigger story that's happening in the book of Jonah. And I think it's been a powerful series. It's been pretty fascinating to look at. What we're going to do is we're going to wrap that series up today, kind of have one more conversation about it. And what I would say, even before we jump in, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, Jonah's life and his interaction with God, it's going to challenge us in some significant ways as we look one more time in the book of Jonah. If you're not yet a Christ follower, uh, maybe you're investigating God and uh, and you're not sure yet if you want to follow Jesus, I would say this is going to give us an amazing picture of who God is and what God's heart really looks like and maybe even what he thinks about us. So we can tune in in those ways, kind of depending on how we've already interacted with God or we're thinking about interacting with God as we look at the book of Jonah. So we covered a lot of it already. We've gone through three of the four chapters, and we're going to wrap up with this last one today. I'm going to have you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there, Jonah chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one from underneath your chair uh, you can take that, open up to uh, page 646 in those Bibles, and you can actually take that home with you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word for yourself, we'd love for you to have one. And uh, take that home, make that your own. And of course, you can also look on uh, the app. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, uh, you can follow through the notes that way as well. So Jonah chapter 4, as you're turning there, let me give us a little recap on kind of what we've covered so far in the story of Jonah. So here's what's happened. Uh, God looked at Jonah, right, right in the beginning of the book, and he, he said there's this city, Nineveh, and the Ninevites there have done all kinds of evil. And God would look at Jonah and say, I choose you, I appoint you, Jonah, and I want you to go and to preach to the Ninevites. I want you to communicate to them a message for me. And Jonah looked at that call that God put on his life, and he said, no way, I'm out of here. And he actually turned and went the opposite direction. He went towards a city. Instead of going towards Nineveh, he went to a city called Tarshish. And he jumped on a boat and and went in the opposite direction. When he's on that boat, God sends this storm, starts to rock this boat. And he's with these sailors, long story short. He actually gets thrown off of the boat 
because they realize that this storm has hit them because of Jonah's disobedience to his God. They don't even believe in God at that point. They recognize him through the story. Jonah gets thrown off the boat. He gets swallowed by this massive fish. And in the belly of this fish, what happens is Jonah will cry out to God. He cries out to God, God have mercy on me, essentially. God does that, and Jonah gets spit out onto the dry land. And through that story, we, we see a pattern play out in Jonah's life. Right? Jonah would be in sin. God would send correction through the storm and through the fish. Jonah would repent, and then God would meet him with mercy. And then we're going to see that same exact pattern play out in the life of this group, the Ninevites. So Jonah gets reappointed to his task to go tell the Ninevites about their sin and this message that God has given him. The Ninevites are in sin. They have correction from Jonah as he's sent into their lives to bring God's correction to them. They repent. They own their sin. They confess. They say, we have done wrong. And then God meets them with mercy. That that same pattern plays out again. Sin, correction, repentance, mercy. And now what's weird, at the end of chapter 3, it feels like the story should be over. Jonah was reluctant. He's disobedient to God. He responds to God. He gets on the same page. It seems with God. He goes and does this task. He preached to the Ninevites. 120,000 Ninevites respond to God. It's a revival everybody's at peace, at least that's how it seems, and it feels like the story should be done. The credits should roll, and this thing should be over, right? Case closed. Chapter 4 is this dark twist in the story of Jonah. It's kind of surprising, because we would think, "This, this thing should be wrapped up now, and when we see Jonah's response to what's happened, to, to the Ninevites' repentance into God's offer of mercy to them, it's shocking to look and to see what Jonah does and how he responds to this. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to read through chapter 4 here in a moment, kind of a quick read through. Here's some things I want us to look for as we're reading through. We're going to go back and we're going to compare and contrast Jonah and God, and we're going to look at what makes each of them happy, what, what makes each of them angry, and what makes each of them heartbroken. And these are going to give us some insights into the heart of each of these. Kind of look through as we read and we'll come back and break these apart. And what we're going to find is the story of Jonah is much deeper than just Jonah going into a fish. It's deeper even than than some people coming to know Jesus. It's about the heart. And it gets down into what really drives us. Let's read this chapter together. Jonah chapter 4 starting in verse 1. They're coming right out of a revival. Actually, I'll go back one verse to 3.10. We can summarize that. It says, When God saw that they, uh, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Right? The Ninevites had repented and God relented. He said, I won't destroy you. And here's what Jonah does. 4.1, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Here's what we get in chapter 4 of Jonah. All these events have taken place. Jonah is actually... He's been obedient outwardly to God. He's done what God's asked him to do. But now chapter 4, we get to take a behind-the-scenes look at Jonah's heart and a behind-the-scenes look at the motivation that God had in sending Jonah in the first place. And one of the first things I want to start us with is what makes Jonah happy? Jonah is not happy very often in this book. In fact, one of the only times that he's happy is when this leafy plant pops up and gives him a little shade for his head. Right? This is what we find out in 5 and 6 of chapter 4. Jonah had gone out, sat down in a place east of the city. So you can imagine Jonah. He's just preached to the Ninevites. And now he's waiting to see what God does to them. Will God destroy them? Will God have mercy on them? He right? doesn't know what's going to happen. Maybe God will continue and give them judgment. Maybe is in Jonah's mind. Verse 6, Then the Lord provided this leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. And that, that word there, very happy, is extreme elation. He is so excited, so happy about this plant. Here's why. Here's what's going to make Jonah happy. And really one of the only things that makes Jonah happy is, is that life gets easier. Life gets easier. Right? This plant pops up, gives his head some shade, and all of a sudden his life just got a little bit easier. You know, he got a new cell phone, man, and it's a millisecond faster, and he's real excited about it. Right? Life got a little more convenient. It got a little easier. Got a new car, and this one has Bluetooth in it. Yes! Right? I'm so excited about it. He, he didn't have to go far to find all his Pokemon. Right? He's excited that he was able to gather them all that quickly. Right? Life got a little bit easier for him, a little more comfortable, a little more convenient. They put a new melt in right down the street, so you don't have to go 15 minutes away. And let me just say this, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting happy or getting excited about life getting easier. God doesn't want us to be feeling guilty when life gets hard. Those are things that we can thank God for. When, When Jonah gets air conditioning, basically, is what this leafy plant provides for him, a little bit of shade, it's fine that he's excited about it. 
The problem comes when, when that's really the only thing that makes him happy. And it's the thing that makes him the most happy. It's the thing that's engaged his heart to the point where his life getting easier has kind of consumed him. And that shows up because it's the only thing that really makes him happy. Watching God work all throughout Jonah's story in life, he's not getting excited about other things. He's only getting excited when his discomfort is eased. That's really all that he cares about. Only thing that engages and grips his heart. And we really start to see the contrast when we look at what makes God's heart happy, what makes him fired up. And here's what we would say. See it all throughout the story of Jonah. But what makes God happy is this. When the lost find life. When the lost find life. See this in the very last verse of chapter 4. When God's talking to Jonah, he says, hey, isn't it right for me to be concerned about this 120,000 people? They can't tell their right hand from their left. They're lost. They don't know me. They haven't found me yet. They don't don't even know what's happening. They don't know my ways, my truth. They're they're lost out here. And, And here, let me give you a couple insights into this a little deeper that Jesus would share with us, talking about the same idea when when someone's lost and they find life, what's happening in God's heart, what's happening in heaven when that plays out. I put these verses on the screen. You can jot them down here in your notes. Luke 15, 7, Jesus would say this in his teaching. He said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who are righteous, who do not need to repent. Jesus is going to say, when, when one person is honest and says, God, I'm sorry. God, I failed you. Right? God, my heart is dark. Because there's, no, there's really no such thing as a righteous person on our own. The Bible would say, we, we've all failed God. We've all sinned. And when one person's honest about that and owns it and says, God, I need you, I repent, What's going to happen here is there's rejoicing in heaven over that. Heaven explodes. It's a celebration. God is elated. He is very happy when the lost find life, when they come to him and a heart turns towards him. Look at this next verse. Very similar, same chapter in Luke, Luke 15, 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when one person turns to God, the angels in heaven shut down the city. There's a parade, right? There is celebrating. There's rejoicing when one person owns that they need to turn back to God. They've done that. When I grew up uh, not knowing Jesus, not ever going to church, my life filled with sexual immorality and pride and lust and things that break God's heart. And a friend came to me and told me about Jesus, that I can have forgiveness of my sin. And I looked at that offer of mercy and I realized that my doing life my way wasn't working that well. And all the guilt and the shame, I needed to do something with that. I looked at God's forgiveness and I said, I'm in. When that happened, in heaven there was rejoicing, celebrating. God was thrilled 
And for every one of you that, that has accepted Jesus, that same thing has caused God to be so excited. There's nothing that can make him happier than when his creation, his children, turn back to him and come home. That's what's going to fire God up. When the lost find life, when, when people turn their hearts back to God. See, there's nothing wrong with getting excited about my life getting easier. We all are going to do that. Nothing wrong with that. But we see, man, my heart's not like God's heart. Jonah, Jonah's going to see this, that, that God's heart is so much broader, so much more concerned than just his own comfort, his own convenience, than life getting a little better, a little bit more of the American dream, right, in my own little inch of the world. I am consumed and excited and thrilled when I see my lost come home and find life. What makes us happy? We see the difference between Jonah and God, a drastic difference between what's captured their hearts. Another window into the heart is, is this question that we would answer, what makes them angry? Right, what's going to fire Jonah up and what's going to fire God up and get their hearts engaged in anger. What's fascinating is it's actually the same thing. They're going to have some common ground here where each of them are going to be angry about sin. Right? Sin is the, the imperfection and the rebellion that we cause against God when we disobey God. Both Jonah and God are going to become angry over sin in general. We see that all throughout the book of Jonah. That's why Jonah didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. He said, I don't want to go tell them about their sin. They might, they might hear about it and do something with it. He was angry about the way the Ninevites were living. Look at what is said here in chapter 3, verse 9. This is the king of Nineveh wrapping up kind of his conclusion as he heard about the sin that God told him about through Jonah. 3 9 says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Even the king of Nineveh, the, the one who is kind of in charge of this group of people who have done these horrible, evil things, committed evil acts of violence and injustice, all kinds of sexual immorality and greed, and he recognizes what we have done has caused God to be angry. And, and that's okay. We need to understand this, that sin in general causes God's anger. Right? Just, just like me, I'm a dad. I've got four kids, and when one of my kids hauls off and smacks the other one, I'm gonna, which happens, I'm going to look at my kid and I'm going to be angry at my child. Why? Because one of my children has hurt the other one. They've sinned against the other one. And that act causes me to be angry. Right? We've got one iPad and four kids. You do the math. Right? They're going to fight over that thing. It just happened the other night. When they're selfish with one another. Right? When, when they're not generous and they won't share. And it causes me to be angry. Why? Because there's sin playing out in their little hearts. They're not treating each other like family, like brothers and sisters are designed to treat one another. They're operating in sin. Here's the thing. Jo Jonah was actually right about being angry about sin. And, and we, if I'm a Christ follower, I, should, I need to be careful to never get comfortable with sin. 
And I should never get to a point or allow myself to become okay with sin in my life or even in, in the world. It should always bother me. Gossip should always bother me. Sexual immorality around, it should, it should make me uncomfortable. Right? Greed populating kind of our hearts and capturing our attention, it should bother me. Paul would tell us what to do with that as a human being who has sinned ourselves. What do we do when we have a righteous anger towards sin? He would say it this way, put it in your, uh, on the screen here, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what Jonah did is he was angry about sin that was appropriate, but then he actually sinned over his anger. He, he didn't look at, at the Ninevites and think, oh, you have sin. I hope that you find your way out of it. That's how I look at my children, right? When my children sin, I hope they figure out and their hearts turn back to each other and they do the right thing. Jonah is going to look and say, they've done the right thing. They've done the wrong thing. God, kill them, right? Look out at that group of people and God, judge them, God, don't you know what, what the government has done? Don't you know what the politicians have done? God, don't you know what, what the Democrats and the Republicans, don't you know what the terrorists have done? Don't you know what my coworkers have done? God, crush them. End them. Right? This was the, the heart of Jonah had turned dark. And he wanted judgment instead of mercy. God was a father, as a father looking to forgive, he cares about the souls for all these people. Jonah wanted them to be destroyed, and what's going to cause Jonah's anger is this, God's ultimate kindness to sinners. God's kindness to sinners. When God the Father would look at the repentance, when the Ninevites turned away from their sin, and God met them with mercy, that caused Jonah to be angry. He didn't want God to forgive them. They were his enemy, and he wanted God to kill them. That fired Jonah up and consumed him. He said, God, I'm so, look at what he says. Back to verse 1 of chapter 4, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What God did seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And that word, very wrong, is a parallel to very happy in verse 6. It's, it's the extreme wrong. Jonah felt that God was doing extreme evil by forgiving and relenting on the destruction of the Ninevites. See, Jonah's heart was off. He, he's angry over God's mercy, and we get a window into this heart of the prophet, right? At the end of chapter 3, we would have assumed that Jonah would have rejoiced with God and been excited about that. Instead, he chooses to be angry. His heart is in a completely different place than God's. And that ultimately leads down to our final question. We, we see what makes them happy. We see what makes them angry. And now finally, we're going to look and see what makes them heartbroken, Look down in verse 10. When Jonah's plant gets chewed up by a worm and God sends this wind and the sun to blaze on his head and he grows faint 
God would look at him and say, is it right for you to be upset about this, to be angry about this? Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? See, God's going to look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you know what, what breaks your heart? That word concern in the original here it is the idea of heart-wrenching anguish. Right? It's heartbreak. He's heartbroken. And here's what causes Jonah to be heartbroken when his comfort is lost. When his comfort is lost. Right? The air conditioning went away. The comfort went away. The ease of life went away. Life got a little harder and it frustrated Jonah. It captured his attention. And all the way through, we, we see what Jonah really cares about is Jonah. What God cares about is going to be something very different. And what, what God cares about is this. And we see the big contrast here is when the lost stay lost. When the lost stay lost. See, what God does is actually an act of mercy towards Jonah. God is teaching Jonah. How does he teach him? He moves towards the one thing that Jonah really cares about in life. His own comfort. And this is you and me. We all have leafy plants that we cling to. We all have things that we, we just, we really want to have this show up in life because it's going to make it a little better. But for Jonah, it's his comfort. It's, it's this leafy plant giving him shade and he's going to take that and give that to Jonah and he's going to take it away. Why? Not to be evil. Not to be vindictive to Jonah. He's teaching him something. Here's what he's going to teach Jonah. Jonah, I want you to understand that the, the feeling of losing the thing you care about the most, the way your heart breaks, the way you have anguish over that, the way you lose sleep over that, that's what my heart does over the Ninevites. My heart is wrecked over the fact that this 120,000 people are going to be destroyed. They're on their way to hell, Jonah. Shouldn't I care about that? Shouldn't that cause me to lose sleep at night? Shouldn't that cause anguish in me? See, they're, they're lost. They don't know. They can't find me. Shouldn't I have concern over that? And we, we see the exact same heart showing up in Jesus when he's hanging on the cross. He says this, look at Luke, I put it up here on your screen. Jesus said, in his last moments of life, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They can't tell their right hand from their left. The very people who are crucifying me, the people who are taking my life, they don't know. They're lost. And what breaks God's heart, what consumes him, is the fact that they could stay lost. See, God... God knows all the things all the people did. He knows what those people did at work. He knows what the, my students said or did, right? The, the, the people around me. He knows what the government did. He knows what ISIS did. He knows all the injustices and all the hurts that we absorb. And he knows how wrong it is. 
He knows all that. And he sees through that like a father sees through the disobedience of their children and he longs for their hearts to come back. He's heartbroken for them. And he wants them to come home. That, that's the heart of God. Is he angry about their sin? Of course he is. But even more than that, he's passionate about their souls. He doesn't just see Republicans or Democrats, enemies. Or, he sees souls when he looks out at his people. And he longs for them to come home and come back into peace with him. We see what makes each one happy and angry and heartbroken. And we see there's a great difference between Jonah and God. I was thinking about this. I, I moved into a new house just about a year ago, a little less than that. And uh, we bought this house, and it's, got, it's surrounded by trees and little, little patches of woods, you know. And I love woods. And I just I love being around trees, and I love being in the woods. I love wood, period. Like, I like to cut wood and chop wood and stack and all those things, right? But I love being in the woods. And it was one of my favorite things about us, like, moving there. I was excited about all these woods. Well, over the spring, we had some of those big storms, and some of our trees started to fall down. And when we were checking out the house to buy it, I I didn't recognize that in all of these woods, there's all this ivy, like English ivy, and it's wrapped itself around all these trees, and it's choking the life out of my trees, you know, and I'm a little frustrated about that about six months ago now, and I started to realize I I need to figure out what am I going to do with this ivy to save my trees, and we started doing all this research trying to figure it out because now I'm on a mission to save my trees, you know, because I I really care about them, and so we started looking at all this stuff. Is there anything I can spray about them? There's a couple options. I can buy some goats, I'm, I'm just probably not going to do that, just being honest, right? So I could buy some goats and they could eat all the ivy. That's one way to do it. Or ultimately, what I can do is we can rip all this ivy out by hand, like all over these little patches of woods. It's a lot of ivy. And it was about 9.30 at night, and uh, I came to the conclusion that night, I'm going to remove the ivy. It is finished, right? So 9.30 at night, it was that when it was like in that uh, heat, spurt right in the middle of the spring. I threw on my my work gloves, my boots, all my stuff, got out there, and I I start, I put my headlamp on. Um, Actually, it's my son's headlamp. He likes to go out and look for animals. So I'm out there, and I'm like ripping the ivy off of the trees in the ground like a maniac at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and I, I start pulling away, and I'm like, I'm gonna save my trees, you know, and at one point, it dawned on me, like, my neighbors are probably like, my new neighbor's a lunatic. Like, who is this guy? And, and I just keep pulling away. I'm sweating like crazy. And I'm thinking, I will see. If it takes all summer, if it takes five years, we're going to get rid of all this ivy. It's going to be awesome, right? And my, my forest will last. And right in the middle of that thing, I don't know if you guys ever had this happen, right in the middle, out of nowhere, God hit me with this question. I wasn't praying. I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of that. And out of nowhere... God stopped me and asked me this question. It wasn't audible, but it just hit me right in the heart. Ryan, do you care about my people as much as you care about your trees? It was a Jonah moment. It was a Jonah moment. It just stopped me right in my tracks. 
Because I'm out here sweating late at night, looking like a lunatic. And, and God hit me with, Ryan, would you do that for my people? What, will you lose sleep for my people? Will you give your sweat and your heart and your affection and your energy, will you go out and look like a lunatic? Right, because when we share our faith, that's kind of what we look like sometimes. Will you do that for me? And it just stopped me right there in my tracks. It was a Jonah moment. It was unsettling. This is what Jonah does for us. This is what God is communicating through the book of Jonah. See, this, this book ends in an unsettling way. It ends with God asking that question, Jonah, is, isn't it right for me to care about 120,000 souls more than you care about your plant? In this unsettling question that God asked Jonah, what God's doing through this book is it's, it's putting me on the list and saying, well, how will you answer this question, Ryan? How do we answer this question? Right? What makes me happy? What's captured my heart and my affection? If I was really honest, what are the things that really fire me up? What causes joy to explode in my heart? Because right? that day, as I'm ripping ivy away, I realize I'm more like Jonah than God. If I was honest about it, what causes me to be angry? When I see sin in my culture, when I see, more importantly, sin in my life, does that fire up anger in me? Cause my heart to burn. Why? Because people are being hurt and God is being sinned against. The God who gave his son to save me. What causes me to be heartbroken? When I look out into my world, do I see souls lost, hurting, dying? Or is the thing that's captured me the most the fact that my comfort is gone? It's fascinating how God used this sickness in my life over the last few months. I was out for a little while. And when I was down, God keep, kept processing this question in my heart. Yeah, I didn't realize that we hadn't started studying Jonah yet, but it's very much the same thing. And in that time, I, I started to realize my affection and my passion for the lost had, had started to wane. I mean, I look like Jonah. I care more about myself than I do about people going to hell. This is crazy. It was during that time that, that God really started to shake my heart loose and soften it. This is what God wants to do in us, friends. Want, wants our hearts to look more and more like His. And I realize I've got a long way to go in this. Here's where I am today, and this is where I think God wants us to land in Jonah. I think God wants us to cross over some kind of threshold where we make a decision that says, God, all right, my life is not about me anymore. I want you, God, will you do whatever it takes in my life 
Do whatever it takes in my life to make me like you. Will I process and own that decision? Because at the end of the day, Jonah, Jonah was obedient to God. Jonah went to church. Jonah served sometimes. Right? He even preached. Jonah packed meals to feed my starving children. Jonah's life was about Jonah. Jonah hadn't gotten to the point at this point in his life where he said, God, my life is about you. I want my heart to burn for the things that causes your heart to burn. I want to see souls the way that you see souls. When I hear that people are dying of addiction, I want my heart to be shattered the way that your heart is shattered. God, will you change me? Make me like you. Somehow we have to land there. Because I don't have three easy steps to tell you how to get there. All I know is I'm not there yet and I want to be. I don't want to stay like Jonah. I don't want to be consumed by petty, nonsense things in this life. I want to live for what matters. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I think we have to walk away with that. Say, what am I supposed to do, Ryan? How do I do that? I don't know. All I know is I have to look at God and say, God, do this. It's it's worth losing sleep over. It's worth skipping Netflix over. It's worth fasting over or skipping a meal. God gave me meningitis. I don't know. Right? No matter what it takes, God, make me like you. Whether it's a fish, whether it's my leafy plant going away, God, will you change me? See, this this stuff has to bug us. How do I walk away and just go eat lunch and, and not be changed? This is what God's chasing down in our hearts through Jonah. Where do I land? If I'm a follower of Jesus, where's my heart? Friends, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me just say, I, I get it. Yeah, you're here and you're not sure what's going on. Let me just tell you this. God's so passionate about you. He loves you so much. His heart is broken for your pain. He loves you so much, he sent his own son to die for you. And he loved you so much that he drew you here and for some reason you're at church today. And let me just say this. Your sin and my sin, it makes him angry. And the guilt you feel is real. And let me just say this. He took care of that and paid for it by the blood of his own son. So you and I don't have to. What God wants you to do is to know that, to accept that, and to put your faith in Jesus to say, will you forgive me? I want to repent. I want to turn the other way from a life lived independently of you. If you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus, you can do that today. God, forgive me my sins. I want to live for you and with you. I want to be with you forever. If you need more questions answered to get that, let us know on that connection card. Reach out to someone.
but for all of us. And the band come out as we wrap up our conversation. I got to look at Jonah, the heart that's in him, and I look at the heart that's causing God to be filled with passion, unrelenting passion for us. And I want to say, God, don't let me stay here. Do whatever it takes in my heart and my life. Let's pray together. Father, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the lengths that you go to pursue us. For your kindness to us. Lord, in our rebellion and in our hard-heartedness and our apathy, you don't quit. And we have not gone too far to where your mercy cannot reach us. God, I beg you, change us, change me. I don't want to stay like this, Lord. I want more and more of your heart and your passion to burn in me. God, would you give us courage to say that in our hearts? Do whatever it takes, Lord, in my life to make my heart match your heart. We love you, Jesus. Meet us here, even now. It's in your name we pray.